Zverev finally defeats Medvedev after six tries. He finally gets it on the 6-1, claiming his second ATP Finals trophy. We'll also take a look at the 2021 year and we'll preview 2022. In the Premier League, Ole Gunnar is out as the coach for Manchester United after a defeat to Wofford 4-1. Wolves beat West Ham. They are now sixth place in the Premier League. In the NFL, the Colts humble the Bills. The, fi- the Bills are stuttering. The Colts are on the rise. Jonathan Taylor for MVP. Chargers versus Steelers play a classic on Sunday Night Football. And the Chiefs are back. The Chiefs handle the Cowboys. They look like they're back. And LeBron James gets a one-game suspension for his altercation with Isaiah Stewart, who gets two-game suspension. All of that on this episode of the Hearts Handle Sports Podcast. Let's get started. Zverev defeats Medvedev in straight sets 6-4-6-4 after losing five straight matches to Zverev, including once earlier in the week in the round-robin stages and another in the semifinal of the Paris Masters. Zverev finally defeats Medvedev. He gets that monkey off his bag. Um, I, I follow tennis a lot. You know, I'd I be in those Reddit threads. I'd be in the comments of YouTube videos. And I've seen people saying, like, especially because it had been five matches in a row, a lot of people were saying that Zverev is never going to beat Medvedev again, that he's just a bad matchup and mentally he's not there, that Medvedev has just gone under him. And, you know, Medvedev is the only one from this current generation or next generation that really has that mental strength to compete with a Djokovic or if Nadal or Federer ever get back to that level. He's the only one that could really challenge them, that he's the only one with the mental strength. Well, Zverev finally breaks through and defeats Medvedev in the ATP Finals to secure his second ATP Finals. And he's the fourth man to defeat the number one and the number two ranked player on their way to a title in the ATP Finals. He defeated Djokovic in the semis. And he defeated Medvedev, the number two ranked player in the finals. So very impressive by Zverev. Overall, it was just a very clean game. Uh, I believe they said that he never faced a break point. So that's very impressive. His serves were just on point. Medvedev didn't really have a chance. Medvedev was fighting to, you know, stay on serves. And for the most part, Zverev broke him easily or broke him early in the sets. And Medvedev just could never um, get hit claw his way back into the set into the match um but yes yeah, Zverev what a year he's had his sixth title in 2021 he leads the tour he finishes as the number three player in 2021 and there were there were some moments where Zverev could have you know faltered or he could if, if his mental strength wasn't there yet he could have you know this game could have switched it, it could have been the turning point there's a couple moments when Zverev could have gotten the insurance break he had a break point or he was up 30-0 and you're like okay if Zverev should be able to get the insurance break you know put this set to rest and Medvedev would come back to his credit and save you know his serve and just stay one break down but those moments you were kind of like oh how, how is Zverev gonna react to that how is he gonna um serve on his next game after having a chance to get the insurance break and sure enough Zverev would be up for the up for the task like he wouldn't be able to get the insurance break but as soon as it would be his turn to serve like you know like a robot almost he was just super concentrated he was in the moment and he just win his games pretty easily wouldn't let it affect him and I think that's a really we've seen the maturation of Zverev 
especially in 2021 from the beginning to the end he's a way different player and we got to congratulate him obviously he, he still has those off the court allegations he has to get through but overall 2021 was one probably his best year he's probably playing the best tennis that he's ever played in his career so shout out to Zvera for you know having a great 2021 ending on a high note ending um you know with the gold medal atp finals ranked number three um it looks like he's not scared of djokovic it looks like he's up for the task whenever he plays djokovic and you know obviously djokovic is in the great shape um he has a great diet we all know we've all seen the clips every time people talk about it so he's fit he's definitely fit but he's already at the tender age of 34 at the ripe age of 34 so we'll see how how long his body is able to keep up but it, i could definitely see you know zverev and medvedev being there to compete against him in the coming years as djokovic keeps getting a little bit older as Zverev and Medvedev keep just growing more into their game. And Zverev has definitely, you know, a lot of people thought Medvedev had taken that, had a huge gap. It was like he was the only one that was, you know, going to really challenge for uh, Grand Slams. But I think Zverev, Zverev is right there. He's right there. He's knocking on the door. He should have won the 2020 U.S. Open, which he kind of choked away or he choked away. But I think in 2021, he should be one of the favorites. And it could come as soon as the Australian Open. But overall, great tournament by Zverev. Great way to finish 2021. Number three player in the world defeats Medvedev in straight sets. But looking back at 2021, we have to, you know, now that the ATP season is over, there's only, you know, international play. Some people are going to skip that and just um, go on with their offseason season. Let's take a let's take a little time to look back at 2021 and highlight, you know, the, the most accomplishing players and what I considered like the highlight moments. In my opinion, that's just for me. Obviously, you guys have your different moments. Um, let me know what those are. Tweet at me. Reply to the video. But for me, obviously, you got to give Sparrow congratulations for the most titles with six. Impressive, impressive year. He gets a gold medal to go with that. Um he didn't get to a final, I believe, in any of the Grand Slams. But in all the finals that he he did reach, he won them. So he's 6-0 in the finals. Good for Zverev. Rude and Djokovic both had five. Rude's mostly were in the 250 level. But nevertheless, Rude, what a breakthrough year. He finishes in the top 10. Uh, breakthrough year. I was able to see him in the SD Open where he defeated uh, Cameron Nori in the finals. So that was good. Quality tennis by Rude. All of that tournament, Djokovic finished with five titles. Obviously, his are a little better than Rude's. Three Grand Slams in there. So and uh, and the Paris Masters and I, I forget what the other one was, but Djokovic, amazing, amazing year. He had the he had the chance for the Golden Grand Slam. He had the chance for the Grand Slam. He falls one short without having the U.S. Open. But overall, and one of the, it's crazy that Djokovic has so many good years. So you can't even say that this is his best year or probably even his top three. But nevertheless, Djokovic had a great, great year. So shout out to Djokovic. Shout out to Rude for breaking through, having that many titles. I'll be at 250, but hey, he's the one winning them. There's other people that wish they had titles. So shout out to Rude. Medvedev getting his first Grand Slam, defeating Djokovic, preventing the Golden Grand, preventing the Grand Slam, the calendar Grand Slam. So Medvedev. 
um, that unorthodox, unorthodox uh, form is getting him far into tournaments, far into ATP rankings. So shout out to Medvedev. Um, he gets his first Grand Slam. I think his first of of many. I wouldn't say many, like like twenty, like these, um, like these monsters of tennis. But I think he he'll end up with maybe two, three, four, five, maybe. But he's he's a talented player. He's twenty five years old. Happy for him to get his first Grand Slam. Um, that FIFA celebration he did after winning the U.S. Open was amazing. That I'll never forget that. That was funny. <laughs> I, get, I didn't know he played that much FIFA, but that was great. Um, Zverev stopping Djokovic in the Olympics. I think that's one of the moments of the year. Um, at that point, Djokovic was flying high. It looked like he might even go for the double double gold medal in the Olympics. Um, he was doing pretty good with the mixed doubles. He was flying through men's singles. And you just thought, okay, he's gonna win. he's going to win one of them, at least. He's going to win one of them. Probably the men's, no one in the men's group looks like they're going to stop him. And uh, he looked at the field and it was, Zverev was the last, was the last stand in a lot of people's mind. You had Kachanov, you had Paulo Busta, I think. It, it, it really came down to Zverev and that was the last stand. If, if Zverev went down, then most likely people thought, you know, with the U.S. Open coming and it being played on hardcore, like this is it. Is gonna be Djokovic, and he's gonna do his Golden Grand Slam. We're gonna see history. And Zverev stepped up, being a set down, being a breakdown in the second set. He steps up after you know losing his composure, hitting his racket on the floor. He just complete one eighty turnaround. I think that was one of the moments of the year. That was crazy. I remember watching the Olympics, and I was like, "Whoa, is this really happening? This is crazy." Um, but yeah, and then losing third place, Djokovic. I think that's another moment of the year when uh. He lost the bronze, and he just like what? Like tennis is so unpredictable on any given match. And when he uh, didn't play the the third place match for mixed doubles, that was like another like whoa, what's going on? This is crazy. You gotta tweet about it. Um, Nadal versus Djokovic in the semifinals of Roland Garros. That was that was probably the third set. Was probably the best set of tennis I've ever seen. That was incredible. I was blowing up Twitter. Everybody was like, oh, my God, this is the best set ever. These two giants of the games are going crazy. Everyone thought going into the tournament that Nadal was just going to win it. He was going to get his 21st Grand Slam, breaking the tie with Federer at the time. And it didn't happen. Djokovic got his 19th. And uh, then he won Wimbledon and he tied 20 with them. But that was that was an amazing match. That was an amazing moment. The team, Seeing two of these giants go at it. That was just amazing. I love that. That was definitely one of the moments of the year. Um, Djokovic winning Wimbledon, uh, tying with Federer and Nadal, getting his 20th Grand Slam. That's another moment. Djokovic, um, it looked at that point that it was inevitable that he was going to win U.S. Open and just get the calendar Grand Slam. He was on fire. He had defeated Nadal in Roland Garros, which is like an impossible task. He had won in the grass. He had won in Australian Open. It just felt like Djokovic was on fire. It was, it was great to see them all tie at 20. And, you know, with both of them being out for injury, it just looked like it was inevitable that Djokovic was going to get to 21 in 2021. 21 in 2021. It just sounded great. It was a catchphrase. It, it, it felt like it was meant to be. But, you know, we all found out that Medvedev have different plans. 
Um, as an American, Mexican-American, I think one of the moments for me was uh, watching Taylor Fritz have that late surge, defeating Zverev, defeating Berrettini, uh, defeating Rublev. He had a late surge. He finishes, I believe, as number 21 or 22 in the world. Highest-ranked U.S. player. Um, still 24 years old. Still has room to grow. That forehand, uh, that defense is getting better. That court positioning is getting better. Taylor Fritz looks like he's going to have a great 2022 so that 2021 late surge for Taylor Fritz, I think that was one of the moments as a Mexican-American watching a uh, fellow American do good in the tour. Andy Murray continuing his comeback, playing the most tennis he's played in a while, being in tournaments, getting at it everywhere. You know, he's playing in San Diego. He's playing um, European Open. He's everywhere. And it's just nice to see him. He had some quality matches like against Tiafo. I would have loved to see him live in the San Diego Open, but Rude had other plans, eliminated him the day before I went. A little mad at Rude, not going to lie. I wanted to see Andy Murray, but it's all good. Um, Andy Murray comeback, I think that's one of the moments for 2021. Defeating two top 10 players in Sinner. And who's the other one? Hercats. I believe he beats Hercats and Sinner in like oh, a two-week span. So shout out to Murray. That comeback is coming along. He had the underhand against Carlos Alcaraz in the um, Indian Wells, which is funny. I think that's another moment of the year. A lot of people have comments about it. A lot of people were saying, you know, even the crowd booed him a little bit. I think it's perfectly fine. I like it. Do whatever. You, it's part of the game. He's not cheating. Uh, but, yeah, Andy Murray comeback. It took another step in 2021. We saw a lot of Andy Murray on tour. He lost his shoes. He lost his wedding ring. It's just great having Andy Murray on tour, playing a lot of tennis, participating in a lot of uh, tournaments. He's a great fellow. He's a, he has a good personality, and he likes he loves San Diego, so he gets points for that at being a San Diegan. And man, speaking of Carlos Alcaraz, I think the la one of the last moments I want to touch on was just the Carlos Alcaraz breakthrough. He went deep into the U.S. Open, defeating Tsitsipas, and then he finished the year strong, going deep into tournaments. And just looking like he belongs. He won the ATP Next Gen Tournament. And I, I believe he's 19 now. He just turned 19, I believe. He's definitely the the chosen one. The next one. The next in line. 19 years old. 18, 19 years old. From Spain. Uh, a wicked forehand. Athletic. He could cover basically the whole court. Um, so Carlos Acaraz breakthrough in 2021. I'm going to end it with that one. Those are the moments of the year for myself. Obviously, I missed some. There's a lot of moments that were amazing. Um, but let me know what you guys think. Do you guys agree with these moments? Were all these good moments for you guys? Um, which ones that I missed? Obviously, there's some good ones that I missed. But these are the ones that came to my mind as I was thinking about this podcast, this episode. So let me know what you guys think. Um, which, which were some other moments that I missed? and or that were special to you they might not be special to everyone but you might be a fan of someone like kind of like how i mentioned taylor fritz late surge not a lot of people would have that in their moments but as a as a mexican-american that one really uh you know that's something that i appreciated so just let me know what were the moments of the years for you guys but now that 2021 is over we have to look ahead to 2022 and here are some of the things that i would be looking for in 2022 Zverev winning his first Grand Slam. He finishes the year 2021, probably the best he's finished any year, winning the ATP Finals, 
just looking like he belongs, competing against the best player in the world, Djokovic, looking like he's not scared. He he finally looks like he's mentally strong, like he could finish any match. So it's very winning his first Grand Slam. Um, and it could be as early as the Australian Open. We don't know Djokovic's status for the Australian Open. That's another thing that I want to keep an eye on in 2022. Australian Open has stated that every player, every person working, every person in attendance has to be vaccinated against coronavirus. So Djokovic, he has been a little, you know, murky. He doesn't really, he hasn't really stated if he's vaccinated or unvaccinated, but there's a lot of rumors out there that he's unvaccinated. So his status for the Australian Open is in limbo. I believe Djokovic loves tennis and loves going against history. Out of the big three, he's the one that mentions the most about history and how they'll be remembered and winning titles. So I do believe that when it comes down to it, he he will get vaccinated if he's not vaccinated for the chance to compete at the Australian Open where he's won the most Grand Slams. So I do think he will participate, but you know you never know. He might be he might be headstrong and he might not get vaccinated if he's already not vaccinated. So if he's not on the field, I think it looks even better for Zverev to win his first Grand Slam in the Australian Open without Djokovic, possibly. Um, I think that's the best chance he has. And he's coming on this hot streak, finishing 2021 in a very strong fashion. So we'll see if Zverev wins a Grand Slam in 2022. But I do think that's one of the things I'm looking forward to. And we got to keep an eye out on Djokovic for the Australian Open. Is he going to be there? Another thing to look forward to forward to in 2022 is the return of Nadal. He is stated to return for the Australian Open. That's great for tennis fans. Having another great return to tennis. Hopefully over that foot injury. Hopefully back to 100%. Hopefully still playing at a high level and able to entertain us all. He hasn't had like too much success in the Australian Open. It is a hard court. Indoor hard court court so we'll see how he does but just the fact that he's back on tour should be great for everyone we get to see Nadal he's a draw he brings people in he fills the seats up especially in the early rounds Nadal back for the Australian Open back on tour should be great for everyone um Federer that's another thing we got to look forward to in 2022 hopefully we get an update I think they did release that he might not be playing the Australian Open and he might not be back to Wimbledon because, you know, that knee is giving him trouble. So that's another thing we got to keep out, keep a lookout for 2022. Hopefully he doesn't retire. It would be so sad to see Federer go out with an injury, not being able to go out on, on his own merit, on his own, you know, will. Like, we just want to see Federer finish, finish his career on a high note. Um It's looking very tough for him to win another Grand Slam. That might be out of the picture now, but at least being on tour at least having fun, at least seeing his majestic backhand, uh, his grin. We just want to see Federer back on tour before he retires. We don't want it to just be on a on a knee injury that keeps him out and he never comes back. That will be very sad to see a great go out like that. So we got to keep out on the Federer update in 2022. Uh, also got to keep an eye out on Djokovic and Nadal getting to 21 Grand Slams as we currently stand. Both Federer, Djokovic... And also, Nadal are tied at 20 Grand Slams. Who's going to get to 21 first? Who's going to break the record to get to 2021? If Djokovic doesn't win the Australian Open or he doesn't participate, then Roland Garros is next. And you got to believe a healthy Nadal is still the favorite to get to win that. So 
that's another reason why if I'm Djokovic, I want to participate in the Australian Open. I'm fighting for an exemption. I'm if I can't get an exemption, I'm getting the shot because that would mean he gets to 21 before Nadal. Especially with Nadal, if he's healthy, should be the heavy favorite again at Roland Garros. Uh, I mentioned in 2021 the breakthrough of these two players, but I got to mention it again. In 2022, I want to see how far Carlos Alcaraz could get in the standings. Everyone could see it. He's top 10 potential, future number one. A lot of people are saying, I, I see it. He's 19 years old with all the room to grow. He's already He's already great. So we'll see how he does. Taylor Fritz, another one for me. Um, uh, he finished top 25. I, I can see him pushing top 10. Um, it looks like he's finally being more consistent, being more consistent with like all aspects of his tennis game. So that's a that's another thing we got to keep an eye out, especially Carlos Alcaraz. Carlos Alcaraz might just surprise everyone and win a Grand Slam in 2022. He's on that type of rise. He looks like he's the next big thing. He's a prodigy. Got to keep an eye out on him for 2022. And hopefully we'll see Murray win a tour-level title in 2022. Um, He's gotten semi-close in some tournaments. He, it looks like he's playing more tennis. It looks like that hip is not bothering him so much. Um, And he it looks like he's in a good spirit. Morale is high in the Murray camp. And I think going into 2022, this is where he. I made a prediction that he would finish top 20. At the end of 2022, that looks pretty, uh, I thought he would win something or get more points to end 2021. So it does look like that's that's a very high expectation for Murray. But if anyone could do it, it's Murray. And I hope this comeback just continues continues to come along. He continues to progress and hopefully he wins something. I want to see Murray win another tour level title. And to finish it up, we got to follow with team team coming back from his injury uh dominic team you know he won the u.s open uh in 2020 and uh we just want him to come back from that wrist injury and just be back on tour uh be one of those um not he's not so young anymore but be one of those next generation after the big three to really compete for titles so we'll see how dominic team comes back in 2022 but yeah that's those are some of the main things that I'm looking forward to in 2022. Let me know what you guys are looking forward to. Manchester United lose 4-1 to Wofford. It was inevitable. Ollie Gunner had to go. In my opinion, he had to go a couple weeks ago, but there was no getting around this. You can't lose to Wofford 4-1 and continue to be the coach of Manchester United. In my opinion, way overdue. Nothing against Oli. It looks like he's a nice guy. Um, the fans seem to still like him. He has this charismatic approach to like his post-game interviews. Anytime he addresses media, anytime he addresses players, he just looks like a very nice guy. He looks kind of like a like that grandpa that just takes care of you, that always makes you feel good. That's what Ole Gunnar reminds me of. And, you know, he looks like he's a great guy. Even when things were bad, he kept a positive attitude. So, you know, I, I wish him the best in whatever he does. But it was long overdue. This job... Like, a lot of people have already said, he should have just been the interim head coach. And at that, like, they should have gotten someone more experienced, someone with the cachet to really be the coach for this giant club that Manchester United is. It was never going to be Ole. And even from the beginning, from his first year, it kind of felt inevitable that 
or it kind of felt like the mountain was too high for Ole to climb. Like, is he really the coach for Manchester United? Is he really going to be the one that turns it around after these other good to great managers have taken over and haven't been able to do it? Is Ole really going to be that guy? Like, are we really seeing a tactical genius? Are we really seeing a head coach that could motivate the players, that could galvanize the locker room, that could really lead Manchester United back into the glory days? It never felt like it was going to be him. It was going to be a great Cinderella story, you know, ex-player that has a very memorable, historic goal with them, leading United back into the glory days with with the blessing of Sir Alex Ferguson. It, it was it was a great Cinderella story. It was, it was going to be a great story. There was going to be movies written about it. There was going to be books written about it. It was going to be all over the press if Oli was able to succeed and just complete it. But it never looked likely. likely. Um, it never looked like he was going to be the one to do it. And now he's off. Now he's off. The, the team needs a lot of help. Maguire, um, not just from the coach, but even top to bottom. Their front office looks like they're lost. Um, I don't know what they're doing. Maguire, you pay 80 million euros for him. He gets sent off in the most embarrassing way on a bad touch, playing the ball out the bag, trying to take on a forward on like there's no reason to. It's just, it's just terrible. Bruno Fernandez hitting the ball back into his own box. It just looks like Manchester United needs a complete overhaul. They need players that understand what it means to play for Manchester United, what it means to wear that red jersey. And a lot of these players are aren't living up to it, and some of them have to be moved on. But overall, United needed a coach with more cachet, who's able to hold players accountable, who's able to leave a locker room with so many personalities with so many egos and uh you could tell Oli loves the club you could tell Manchester United means a lot to him but he just wasn't the guy for it and it's okay it's okay I think people are still gonna remember his goal they're still gonna like him they're gonna think fondly of these three years that he had hopefully but it's time to move on it's been it's been too long since United has been a player for the Premier League and it's time it's time to move on and we'll see who they get. They kind of lagged it to fire him, so they missed out on Conte. They could still get him if they offer a lot of money, and there's a stipend in that contract. But I'm hearing Pochettino. I'm, I'm hearing, um, what's his name? I'm hearing uh, Sinedine Sinan. We'll see what happens, but I think this was the right move. A little bit overdue, but it had to be done, and there's, there's no going back. United has to keep moving forward. They have to get a coach that knows what they're doing, that could implement Real tactics and move United forward. Wolves beat West Ham 1-0. Wolves are now top six in the Premier League. After starting with three straight losses in the Premier League, it looked like Wolves are going to be fighting for their lives. We were questioning if Bruno Lodge was going to be the coach for the future. Um, should Nuno be back? Like, did the Wolves make a mistake? But they turned around. This is one of the most impressive victories of the year. West Ham, who were on a four-game win streak, uh, maybe the international break hurt them a little bit, but they were on fire, four straight wins. They had just defeated Liverpool before the international break. They were firing on all cylinders, so very impressive win by the Wolves. Um, this is probably one of the most impressive games I've seen from them, just with having the ball, having possession, really creating danger, really looking dangerous, really looking like they have intentions with their attack. Uh, Neves was amazing in the midfield as he has been throughout the whole season. He's class in the midfield. Semedo 
a lot of people give him a lot of flag for you know his mistakes. Everyone keeps referencing his time with Barcelona when Davies make them look pretty bad. And you know he did have some mistakes last year, and he he has had some lapses where you're just like, what are you doing, Semedo? Come on, we paid 35 million for you. Like, come on, like, get it together. But this season he has definitely turned it around. He has looked way more solid in the back. He has been more dangerous. He has been more. Um, he, his timing of his runs have been way better going up. The ball has always been good um, on his foot. So now he's really shining. Another another great outing for Semedo versus West Ham. And Raul Jimenez, you know, another another goal to add to his tally. He's coming further along in his comeback. Obviously, we can all tell that he's not at the level that he was before the injury. And that's not a slight on Raul. I don't think I'm saying anything crazy. I don't think I'm insulting him. That's just how it is. It was a traumatic injury. If you guys haven't seen, um, the Wolves did release a mini documentary about it. But it's a traumatic injury. It's going to take time for all to come back. But adding another goal, adding confidence to um, the Wolves striker, I think is great. It's going to help him. It's going to help the Wolves. It's going to help Mexico uh, national team. So it's great to see Raul Jimenez get back onto the scoring tally. Good for him. Um, and good for the good for the defense. They were able to hunker down and keep the clean sheet. West Ham definitely had most of the possession at the end of the second half. They were pushing. They were looking for that tie. And to Wolves' credit, they were able to hunker down. Um, Saw needs a lot of credit after Rio re left. It looked like you know the Wolves were going to have a hole at the goalkeeper position. Well, a lot of us fans didn't know what was going to happen. We were kind of weary. Like, okay, who are we going to bring in? Like, are they ever going to be able to replace those gloves? And Saw has filled in admirably, even maybe even better than Rio Patricio. He's been amazing. He's been solid. He's been rock solid under the post and he's great at distributing the ball um getting an attack started just finding players finding our attacking players with just one long one long arm throw one long kick he's able to jump the lines and threaten the back line of the other opposing team so saw gotta give saw some credit um and the Wolves overall what a way to turn around the league what a way to turn around this season uh, a lot of credit for bruno lodge for getting his tactics right Usually he always picks the correct 11 and he makes timely substitutions. I think he's getting better with his substitutions. He's getting better with his control of the game. So I think it's it's all for Wolves. Top six and top four is not too far away. We could definitely look and see top four in the sights for the Wolves. The next two games are Nor- Norwich and Burnley. So there's definitely a chance to push for the top four. And after that, it will be Liverpool. So can't have a lapse, can't have a mental lapse, can't look ahead of the matches that are right in front of you. So Wolves got to concentrate against Norwich this week. Handle that. Handle Burnley. And we'll see where we stand after that. But overall, impressive, impressive victory from the Wolves to the FIA West Ham who were on just crazy form before the international break. Shout out to Wolves. Shout out to Raul Jimenez, Neves, Semedo, Bruno Lodge. Amazing, amazing victory. The Colts humble the Bills 41-15. Jonathan Taylor runs rampant on that defense. The number one defense in the NFL. The number one scoring defense in the NFL. Jonathan Taylor for MVP. Five touchdowns. Crazy, crazy stuff. Don't look now, but the Colts are back. They're 6-5 and five now, and they are looking dangerous. Wentz, he, you know, he's susceptible to having, you know, a lapse or two every game where you're just like, wow, why did he throw that? 
And thankfully this year they have not turned into interceptions. So his numbers look good. It looks like he's doing enough for the Colts. But they're definitely on their way up. The Texans lost. I mean, the Titans lost this week to the Texans. So the division might even be in grasp. We will see how if the Titans falter. But the Colts are back. They're looking very, very strong. Jonathan Taylor is the best back in the NFL right now with Henry being out with injury. Jonathan Taylor for MVP. He's carrying that Colts team. He's carrying a lot of fantasy teams. The Colts are back. Very impressive stuff. They do have a very tough schedule, so we'll see how they're able to get through it. But they passed their first test against the Bills, and the Bills are falling apart. The Bills were the second seed in the AFC, and I think I checked the standings, and they're now the seventh seed, which goes to show you how how tight the AFC is. One win, one loss could just push you up and down the rankings. But the offense has looked abysmal. I thought after losing to the Jaguars, they were going to get it together. I thought the Bills were going to um, ride the ship. They were going to correct the stuff. They were going to fix things, and they are going to look better. But they have not looked better. If anything, they've looked worse. That offense, who a lot of people touted as the best offense in the NFL last year, Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders, Moss, Singletary, Knox. Like, there's weapons, and... For all the damage they did last year, they're not doing a lot of damage this year. And it looks like they're falling apart. They're now second in the AFC West. I mean, AFC East. They're seventh in the AFC. What is going on with the Bills? It's crazy, crazy stuff. Bill fans, break it down for me. What's going What's going down? What's going wrong? Is it, is it Josh Allen? Josh Allen is definitely not playing like he did last year. He, he made his money. He has a huge contract. Some people were saying that it was too early. Some people were saying it was just right. The Bills haven't had a quarterback like Josh Allen. But this year, you would have to say that, you know, he's not really living up to that contract. And there's still a lot of time. He can still turn it around. He was the MVP favorite for a little bit. So it's not like he's having a terrible season. But you would you would have wanted him to repeat a season like last year after you pay him that much money. You would want Josh Allen to be, you know, somewhat close to the year he had last year and we haven't seen it and hopefully we see it but the bills look like they're just falling apart it looks like they're on a cliff and for their sake hopefully they can turn it around it looks like the Colts and the bills are going in complete opposite directions the bills are going down the Colts are going up we'll see how they finish but jonathan taylor five touchdowns crazy crazy stuff i have him in my league uh in my fantasy league from san diego and he carried me to a victory didn't carry i won pretty easily but I still enjoy the point. Shout out Jonathan Taylor. Five touchdowns. The Bills get routed by the Colts. Chargers versus Steelers play an amazing Sunday night football game. 41-37 victory for the Chargers. What a game. Sunday night special. Sunday night classic. Um, it looks like the Chargers were charging the game away. To put it in, in a term that everyone will understand. The Chargers are charging. We all know... The, the heartbreak losses that the Chargers experienced, the, the blown leads, the missed field goals. It looks like they were doing it again. Uh, always, obviously, we got to give credit to the Steelers for fighting to the end with all the injuries um, that they had on defense, you know, missing uh, Watt from their line. But they fought to the end. And it looked, from my point of view, starting the fourth quarter, the Chargers were up 27 to 10. And they had scored on basically all their drives. And it just felt like if the Steelers don't score a touchdown right now to make it 27-17, this game's done. Their defense hasn't been able to stop the Chargers. And i got to give them a little bit of a pass. They have a lot of injuries. But 
it is what it is just for this game it just looked like the Steelers are not stopping the Chargers they're already down 17 if they don't get a touchdown to cut it to 10 this game is done because they're if at best they're going to hold them to field goals and that offense is not looking that great for the Steelers and so you understand where this was going it was like okay this game they got to get a touchdown and when the Chargers held them to three to make it 27-13 two touchdown game you kind of felt like the game was getting out of hand for the Steelers you're like all right Chargers are going to get the ball they're going to go down the field like they've done the whole game at least get another field goal back and now it's a two three possession game and you're probably like nearing the middle of the fourth quarter and it's probably game over but the Chargers started charging and they get a block punt that they down inside the 10 Najee Harris scores a touchdown now it's 27 20 and now the Steeler fans are getting loud at SoFi Stadium and it looked like there was more Steeler fans than Charger fans they were waving their terrible towels you felt like the Steelers were back in the game and you're like, okay, how are the Chargers going to get out of this? They need to, they need to, you know, put some points on the board. Um, they need to quiet the fans. <laughs> it's just crazy because they're at home, but they need to quiet the Steeler fans after having that block punt after Najee Harris cutting it to a seven-point game. And to the Chargers' credit, they go down the field and they score a touchdown. Austin Eckler got his four touchdown. Shout out Austin Eckler for a great fantasy game, a great game overall. And they scored. Austin Eckler's fourth touchdown, making it 34-20. And you're like, okay, is this it? Like, we got to see the, the Steelers drive down the field all again, especially because they haven't really done it this whole game. They scored their last touchdown from inside of the 10 because special teams. But to, to the Steelers' credit, to Big Ben's credit, he drives them down the field pretty quickly, scores the touchdown. Now it's 34-27. And the pressure goes back to the Chargers. And, and the Steeler fans are super loud at SoFi Stadium. They're waving their terrible towels. You're like, all right, they did it once. Are the Chargers going to be able to get out of the situation, score some points, quiet down the fans? And to my surprise, they didn't. They weren't really running the ball. They came out throwing the ball heavily. And Justin Herbert gets a ball tipped in the line. Ricochets up into the sky, gets intercepted. The defense gets another turnover puts the ball back into the Steelers' um, hands on the Chargers' side of the field. And next thing you know, you blink, and the Steelers score a touchdown. Tie game, 34-34, and you're like, wow, how is this happening? The Chargers are charging up 17 in the fourth quarter. Like, they showed a stat of how many times you win and how many times you lose, and it was so skewed towards the the winning side. And you're like, wow, the Chargers are really going to blow this. So once the ball is... Once the game is tied 34-34, the Chargers need to score. At this point, Steeler fans are going a berserk in the stands. It's loud. Justin Herbert's having to, you know, cover his ears to hear the play call. And the Chargers get, like, one first down, and they're faced with, like, a 30-10, and they get, like, eight yards. They Fourth and two to go. They go for it on their side of the field. And they don't convert. Steelers get another stop, another turnover, turnover on downs. Thankfully for the Chargers, their defense is able to hold up. They only give away a field goal. But from being down 27-10 to start the fourth quarter, with like three minutes left, the game is now 37-34 Steelers. And you're like, what just happened? That's insane. Like, if you miss that whole sequence, that those 10-11 uh, minutes of football 
like i don't know what to tell you but that was ridiculous it was a ridiculous game it was a ridiculous scenario to be a part of and and now you're like okay the chargers have to score they've been moving the ball pretty good especially in the first half not so much in the second half they got to go at least get a field goal force overtime but the steelers injuries came back to bite them again um missed assignment blown coverage 50 like 50 yard touchdown to the house from williams and the chargers take the 41 37 lead but they scored too fast it kind of felt like the steelers were going to have time to drive down the field but the chargers defensive line stepped up to the to the task and gets two sacks on big ben and at that point the game was over it was like fourth and like 30 and they couldn't do it but overall like just even recapping the game i gotta catch my breath that was a ridiculous like asinine like i can't even believe that happened if you missed that game i feel sorry for you because that was probably one of the games of the year um there's been a lot of games of the years this year so just keep watching football and you'll see something epic this year but this one was up there it was ridiculous as a neutral fan i just i wanted more i couldn't get enough of it i was like like block punt tipped interception blown coverage like missed fourth down like it was just an amazing game four touchdowns from eckler amazing amazing game um if you didn't watch it make sure to catch the highlights but chargers get the victory they keep pace with the chiefs and uh the afc wild card is wide open it is wide open man there's like seven eight teams that are fighting for that wild card even everyone's basically fighting for the wild card the bills were the second seed in the afc and they lost and now they're the seventh seed which just goes to show you how tight the afc is the afc is and every every game counts, especially if you're playing against another team that's in contention because they kind of count double. But amazing game. This game might have a lot of implications at the end of the season for the AFC standings, but good job for the Chargers. Good job for Justin Herbert for stopping the Chargers from charging. I feel like any other year without the lead of Justin Herbert, this, this game would have ended with the loss for the Chargers. They would have definitely folded credit to the chargers for folding but man they definitely like to give their fans a heart attack every week and the steelers we'll see how they we'll see how they do gotta give the steelers credit for never giving up the chiefs are back the chiefs are back they beat the cowboys pretty convincingly cowboys never looked like they were in the game cowboys never looked like they could get their offense going obviously without amari cooper who's out with covid and they lost CeeDee Lamb at halftime with a concussion. They never really got their offense going. Dak Prescott played one of his worst games. He had two interceptions. Uh, wasn't really accurate. Wasn't really hitting his wide receivers. 19-9 victory by the Chiefs. That defense is turning it around, bringing the heat. Um, Chris Jones is a monster. He's wrecking havoc down the middle. Um, quarterbacks don't have time with Chris Jones pressuring down the middle. They're scrambling for their lives. I believe he had like three sacks this this game which is just amazing by him 3.5 sacks by chris jones i think he came into this game with three sacks doubles his total so if you're chiefs fans you got to be happy with what you're seeing from that defense that offense still needs to come along Mahomes is still turning the ball over and they're still not getting those big plays they're still not looking like the chiefs offense that we've known the last two or three years but i think you should be encouraged if you're a chiefs fan you're getting victories. You're back in, on top of the AFC. 
Vegas has you as the favorite to win the the Super Bowl and the AFC. And you just got to believe that Mahomes is going to get it together. Like, yeah, he's had a rough stretch and he's not looking like MVP Mahomes or best thrower of the football Mahomes or the best quarterback we've ever, ever seen grace the football field Mahomes. But you got to believe that he's going to turn it around. This offense is going to come around. And if your defense is playing this good and your offense turns it around and gets it together, then your team is scary, your team is nasty, and you should be having Super Bowl aspirations. So after not having too many convincing wins, you beat the Packers without Aaron Rodgers, you beat the Giants, you beat the Raiders with the mess that they're going through. The Chiefs get their first impressive, impressive victory, beating the Cowboys, who a lot of people had as the best team in the NFL, especially after they routed the Falcons not too long ago. They had them as the best team in the NFL. The Chiefs take care of the Cowboys at home. The Chiefs are back. LeBron James is suspended one game for his altercation and his hit against Isaiah Stewart. Isaiah Stewart is suspended for two games for, you know, his participation in that scuffle. And a lot of people are mad. A lot of people are saying that the, the league is defending LeBron James, that he should have. How is he only suspended one game when he's the one that elbowed Isaiah Stewart? He's the one that caused this man to bleed. And I get it. I, I, I see where people are coming from, but let me try to provide an explanation. So what LeBron James did is obviously he tried to get Isaiah Stewart off of him. He did that motion. He hit him. He hit him in the in the head. I don't think he wanted him to bleed, but he did bleed. He hit him in a sensitive area around the eye, started uh, bleeding. It looked really bad because the, bleed, the blood was just dripping down his face. But... Like, in and of itself, he got a flagrant two. He got kicked out of the game. And I think one game suspension is, is fair. It's fair for uh, for LeBron James. It's kind of like a, along the same lines as Jokic when he hit um, Morris in the back and just pushed him down the floor. It's, it's kind of like along the same lines, especially because Jokic was, like, very intentional. Like, he really wanted to do that. He, he like, launched at him. He saw his target. He hit him from the back. He launched at him. Obviously, he didn't make him bleed. Okay, he hit him in the back. He didn't hit him in the face. But that was very intentional. That was that was aggressive. That was that had malicious intent. He 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 was retaliating back towards Morris for what he did. So it's it's kind of like along the same lines. LeBron James. A lot of people are saying he did it intentional. I don't think he wanted to um, hit him per se. I don't think he wanted to make him bleed. Like I don't think that was his intention. He really would just wanted to get him off. He was aggressive and he was very uh, brute with it like he shouldn't have been swinging his elbow so hard but unfortunately it did catch him it did catch Isaiah Stewart and I think a one game suspension was uh, merited and I think he would have gotten suspended you know regardless if Isaiah Stewart did anything but that's that's where the one game suspension comes if you want LeBron James to get suspended two games all right I, I kind of see it but I would put it like along the same lines as Jokic, MVP getting suspended, LeBron James, you know, face of the NBA, one game, try to get the man off, hit him in the face, one game suspension. Why Isaiah Stewart got a two game suspension is because this man was going crazy. He was pushing officials, he was pushing coaches, he was pushing everybody, and he caused the chaos. Um, he could have incited violence. Like people were saying, this could be malice in the palace too. Uh, what, what do you, what, what Woj, not Woj, what Bob Wapetis was saying, uh, what would he call 
uh, the Little Caesars Arena. What would be the Little Caesars Arena equivalent to the Malice in the Palace? Like, this could have gotten out of hand very quickly. And mostly because Isaiah Stewart wanted to, you know, start something with LeBron James after he got hit in the face. And I, I get it. This man caused you to bleed and you don't like it. But he did push officials down. He did, you know, tackle some people down. He He's causing a lot of ruckus. And I think that's why he gets the two-game suspension the NBA doesn't want that to happen the nba doesn't i know for a fact the nba doesn't want the malice in the palace to happen again and these type of actions are the ones that would stir something like that again obviously lebron james shouldn't be elbowing players you don't want to see him you know make players bleed but we that happens that happens in the game of basketball we've seen people bleed before we've seen people wear the mask because you know they're they get a broken nose it happens and lebron james obviously it's he's rightfully suspended for one game but what isaiah stewart did you can't have that and i think that's the message that the nba is setting like you got you just gotta let the league handle it you gotta believe that the league would have ejected him um flagrant two you gotta believe that the league was gonna suspended suspend lebron james he got a one game suspension and you kind of just gotta deal with it like this is a profession the nba you can't just be running rampant like like any like like anybody else kind of just got to take it on the chin and believe that the NBA is going to handle it. And maybe if you play him again down the line, you take a shot at him or you foul him hard or something. That's how you do it if you don't want to get fined, if you don't want to get suspended. But Isaiah Stewart just wanted to get revenge. And it is true. He had LeBron James face-to-face and he didn't do anything. He waited till he was like 20 meters away to really like start pushing people and creating a scene. So I, th- I do think if Isaiah Stewart was really about it, he could have like strong at LeBron James when they were super close to each other after the incident happened. Maybe he didn't realize that he had blood to afterwards and that's what just caused him to rage. That's very possible too, but that's my explanation as why to LeBron James got a one game suspension and Isaiah Stewart got two. I think if the NBA just wanted to stop all this nonsense, you know, get, move over the story, they could have just given both of them a two game suspension. I don't think anyone from LeBron's camp would have been too mad or anyone in the Lakers would have been like, okay, it was the same as Isaiah Stewart. But that's my explanation for why he got a one-game suspension. Uh, I think two-game suspension for everybody would have probably been the best, but I get where they're coming from. Like, I do understand the one and two. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, Let me know what you guys think. Should LeBron James have been suspended more games? There's people that think Isaiah Stewart shouldn't have been suspended at all. I think that's ridiculous. Like, you can't do all that show. You can't do all that um, fighting and pushing of officials, of, you know, security guard and stuff and not get any suspension. But let me know what you guys think. Were, were these suspensions merited? Merited? Would, do you want um, more for LeBron, less for Isaiah Stewart, equal? Let me know what you guys think. But that should do it for the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast. This has been episode 74. If you made it this far, thank you so much for listening the very end make sure to subscribe to the channel um subscribe to the podcast and follow me on all socials but that should do it have a great rest of your day